And welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures. One, or in this case, two chapters at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hello, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Good to see ya. Yeah, good to see ya. Yeah, and over screen this time, last we saw each other was over the weekend on the coast. Yeah. In person. In actual person. That was wonderful. Yeah, this this episode is probably coming out, I don't know, sometime in January. Uh, But yeah, we're recording here. Maybe later. Yeah, yeah, maybe later. Uh, We're recording here in uh, December, and I just got to have my bachelor party for the weekend, and uh, the translator helped uh, get a lot of folks together, uh, and we had a really good time on the beach much revelry and laughter in the gift of seeing people from all these different parts of life come together and hobnob and storytell together it was good mm-hmm. yeah, it was good to see people that i hadn't seen for a long time too yeah well what are you drinking this evening got a hot buttered rum on a cold evening here mm-hmm. yeah you know that temperature drop from like 45 to 40 is feels like more than five degrees yeah, that's a brutal change, <laughs> especially if the wind and the rain get going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You made a good choice having a warm drink to my palate. I I made the riskier choice of shaking something nice, as usual, a Manhattan. Which is never the wrong choice. So, no. you know, yeah. yeah. Well, everybody, uh, we are talking this week about the last two chapters in the gospel according to Matthew, chapters 27 and 28. These are chapters that explore the trial and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. We're gonna explore a few ideas and words in there. It's it's interesting by getting this far into Matthew, you know, here at the end after what, 20, six preceding chapters plus an introduction uh there's hardly any words and ideas and translation decisions that haven't of of consequence that haven't we haven't already had to walk very carefully through but we found a few interesting notions here as well as an opportunity for a little bit of uh higher level reflection on matthew so in 27 verse 55 we're going to talk about helping versus ministering in 28 6 and 7 we're going to talk about woken up instead of raised and then you know those last two verses in matthew 28 are ones if you grew up anywhere within a bible's throw of um evangelicalism you know the last two verses there pretty well the com- the great commission as it's called we're going to explore basically everything in those so if you haven't had a chance to read brandon's translation it's always good to do that beforehand so there's a link in the show notes to it and uh, as always check out the footnotes so go ahead and give it a read we'll have a sip while you take a dip i regret that <laughs> i'm gonna keep that <laughs> You should. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. 
let's get into this. So, you know, we only have one, <laughs> we've got one translation change that we thought would be particularly worth um, some airtime in, in um, chapter 27. But I think that's worth yeah, acknowledging. Which is another long chapter. It sure is, especially by verse it. counts. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's uh, 64, 65, 66 verses. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps going. It just keeps getting Sold. bigger as I'm looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's remarkable. Like, I, I found those footnotes to be very interesting uh, at a Bible geek level. But at the uh, level of healing and liberation that we try to surface in this show, there wasn't a whole lot. I wonder if some of some of it is the fact that it's narrative and there's not like Jesus teaching anybody here, like verbally. Yeah. Like he's living it out, but he's not trying to find the right words to communicate an idea. Um, and that's, the fact that he's not using language makes the language simpler. I think it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's like, well, he went and talked to this person and this person, you know, murdered him. And then then this person did this and then this happened. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are weird things that happen in here, like people getting up out of their tombs and walking around. Um, But the language is pretty straightforward about it. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, there's not a lot of depth in the wording itself. Yeah, and a lot of the big ideas that we've had to wrestle with steadily throughout Matthew's gospel, hell language, uh, mm-hmm. righteousness language. You know, mm-hmm. these are uh, sinner and sin. Right. These are massive linguistic themes in how Matthew tells the story of Jesus's ministry up until about holy week the final week where he goes up to jerusalem flips some tables and then um kind of wills his own death the hands of the government uh spends three chapters insulting the powers that be yeah until they kill him for it Uh uh-huh yeah that will that will do it jesus it's i don't know it's striking that Matthew is out of words. He's he's no longer weaving together the memories of what Jesus was talking about and the crazy, mm-hmm. like these miracle stories that are also enacted parables that are clearly mm-hmm. more than, and he can bend the rules of reality. They're parables for him bending the rules of social and political and economic reality, religious reality, yeah. um, different kinds of Makes miracles. I think of Hebrews... Uh... God spoken many times in many various ways, but now he's spoken through his son. Through his son. Yeah. So yeah. All those things that Jesus was doing was speaking through the son. Yeah. And it's, it's like Matthew had all of this language from, his, from Jesus' ministry, but then it all goes quiet for the final week, especially yeah. from like the Last Supper from Holy Thursday on here through to Easter, there's remarkably little, I guess, editorializing. Like he, he tips his hat Mm -hmm. to some Hebrew scripture ideas a couple times, but it's really just a recounting of the facts. Like there is absolutely editorial discretion in his voice, but all of the big words Jesus was into, like from kingdom 
<laughs> to this image of, yeah. of, of um, Gehenna just falls out. Yeah, it doesn't show up here at all. Deviators, sinners doesn't show up here. Like it's righteousness, righteous, justice, just. It's yeah. not in here. It's it's not trying to. And there is a significance to what happens here, but it's not being presented as here's the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's two different things. Something yeah. can have meaning without it being trying to make a point. I think there's a mercy as well to the fact that there's so, so few places where toxic theology could develop a foothold in the telling of this story Mm. this far in, like there's not much wiggle room. There's no real theological technical terms that can be bolted into place and we can build good or bad um, theology out of it's like, it's a it's a story it's raw narrative and dialogue i find there to be a real mercy there like from very early on in um the history of this tradition you have what is it, uh, the start of first corinthians 15 paul saying you know for, i pass on to you that which was handed down to me and like mm-hmm. kind of the core like the finale to all four gospels is handed over, killed among the trespassers, according to scripture, and was ra- buried and was raised on the third day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that church tradition may well have developed a lot of really shitty <laughs> ideas about what that core narrative means, like friggin' hardly anything, at least in, the, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, show up for what we do about the, that story. They don't try stapling in like, and this is the kingdom or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a clarity to actions and not that actions can't be misinterpreted because they can, but I think there's this kind of, I think there's a, a an explicitly taught misconception that explicitly worded teaching is clearer mm-hmm. than the story. Mm-hmm. without inter- the story without interpretation and i think that's backwards honestly i think th- i think we need both yeah but i think it's actually actions that speak with clarity and no matter how pithy the one-liner we come up with or the 600 page doctrinal st- thesis that we come up with like it doesn't matter like there is Somebody's going to understand those words differently than I intended. Period. Yeah. And yeah. there is a there's a cutting straight to the heart of things that actions have. That yeah, it just is trying to find the right word. Which maybe there maybe I don't need to because it's exactly what I'm talking about. Is that the exact wording kind of doesn't matter sometimes? But well, I mean, it. We have conversations about stories. We have arguments about teachings. Mm-hmm. Like we, yeah. we, we come to Paul with knives out. Um, and for parts of Jesus's teachings as well, but we get, we, we come out, come with knives out about what the crucifixion meant. Mm-hmm. That's the a core, teaching about the crucifixion. Right. The crucifixion but, itself. But yeah. A story is flexible. 
there's freedom to explore. We don't have to pin down certain things in the same way. There's a spirit of, um, I guess there's, it's more, there's more of an orality to it. It's a conversation starter versus ender. Yeah. There you go. talked about before, I think. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that's the surprising thing is that it feels so conspicuous here, but really that same spirit should be brought about in reading all the rest of Matthew as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have a lot more, a whole lot more editorializing and very thoughtfully crafted ways of telling the story. Mm-hmm. But here, his editorial goes dry in his mouth he doesn't really can't get anything out yeah gets into a real like i'm just gonna tell you like it happened mode Mm -hmm. and it's up to the listening community us to tell and tell the story again Mm -hmm. discovering new layers of meaning here at the core like we dare not layer on too much meaning here in written form like oral is gives us a bit more freedom to just like let things just float away into the ether yeah. I also wonder if it is, has to do with the fact that assuming it was Matthew that wrote this, there's no way that this story, even 20, 30 years later, didn't have an emotional impact on him. Oh, man. And that it would have felt dirty to try to use it to like push a point. And he's just, let me tell you what I remember. Mm-hmm. But there is one religious technical term that snagged. <laughs> for you in uh in 27 so we jump down to verse 55 can you give that a read for us yeah oh and the operative word here is uh helping this is after jesus had died it says many women who had followed jesus from galilee helping him were there watching from a distance the word helping there in the greek is diakoneo uh, it's the verb of like to serve, help, assist. Honestly, like honestly, it was kind of like waiting tables uh, in a lot of settings. Huh. There's a, a servant slash slave connotation to it. Kind of the distinct. I don't think it's absolute, but there's a tendency towards uh, a doulos was a laborer slave. And uh, Diakonos was like a, a slave in the home that did like serving tables and waiting and, and, and that kind of work. Yeah. And that's where we get the word deacon in churches, which depending on what tradition you come from is more or less of a formal position. But in, in some churches, it's ordination level position. Like you have to go through education and certification and prove yourself to be worthy in a number of ways. Yeah. I believe um, the Catholic Episcopal Methodists, Lutheran and Presbyterians all, if they do have a distinct clergy laity divide, they probably have deacon as kind of a capital D deacon mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. I know in the Orthodox church, if you've ever been involved in a death, you can't be a deacon anymore, uh, including like if you were involved in a car accident and someone died. Oh, wow. You, cannot, you can't be a deacon. That's the ordained are connected with life, not death, something like that. And yet here, many women who had followed Jesus uh-huh. deaconing him. Yeah. 
I think this is one of those words where it's interesting to notice how it's translated because there are a number of different ways that could be correct technically, helping, serving, ministering, attending to, and noticing who it's talking about, what role they're being assigned, and watching for differences between like men and women or people with power or in privilege so if, or less so. So if the men were deaconing him, but we say helping, but the women mm-hmm. were serving, then like that's a translation decision that is just reinforcing right. patriarchy. Right. And I think that does show up in some places. I was actually pleasantly surprised looking through several different uh, already existing versions here and saw the word ministering in several of them, um, which isn't a word that I just really use. Uh, It's a religious technical term and it wasn't such at this point. Um, I think the English word ministering has changed its meaning over time, honestly. Uh, So I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yeah. It's like going to a friend's house for dinner and being like, is there any ministry you need in the kitchen? It's like, the hell are you talking about? Do you mean help? Do you want to help in the kitchen? Yes. You can help in the kitchen. Yeah. I think the word minister used to mean something very different than specifically religious. Yeah. I don't even know it, like how to summarize it. It's like teaching, I guess. It's, it's come to mean like programs for making people more, like Jesus more or, or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. But um, even in English, it's like minister. Like in, in the UK, you have the ministry of defense or however. Right. And ad, yeah. in America. And in the US, ad, the same position would be a secretary. Or administration like i'm an administrative assistant right. like minister is right in there right so there's a sense of responsibility like authority to that position but not religious specifically yeah we don't need um, to like for all of our talk about deacons and different denominations it's like there's just there's ultimately no need to import any of that here matthew's just using mm-hmm. the word for like uh the women helped him. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with status. It's what kind of things they were doing for him. And mm-hmm. yeah, it makes me think of churches who have a distinction between deacons and deaconesses too. And at least in my experience, when a church has a specific title of deaconess, it is less than. Um Deacons get to make decisions about ministry programs uh, and running those programs, uh, being true leaders in the church, and deaconesses get to organize potlucks. In the United Methodist Church, there is uh, deacons are the kind of like second highest, or not, uh, it's not higher or lesser, but it's one of the main two uh, ordination statuses you can have, mm-hmm. but a deaconess is a now functionally deprecated lay title that mm-hmm. had some good ideas to it, but it was ultimately, yeah, like it's a club word for the women who set up the potluck. Mm-hmm. 
we've really just yeah it's it's odd how these words like it's just it's just the greek word for helper yeah <laughs> and we create we, yeah. we we package it and, package it yeah and it's it's the same kind of work that mary miriam mary uh mm. all the miriams are doing for jesus and other women as Stephen and the other named deacons in Acts are doing for other people. It's it's not a different order of thing. Mm-mm, no. And in every neighborhood I visited, the people who are actually administering in the neighborhood who are have an eye on what needs are and aren't being met and are getting out there and doing something about it mm-hmm. tend to be women. <laughs> we've done a lot better job if that's the right word for it yeah training women to think about other people yeah then we have men men are pretty crap at it in general we've certainly been socialized to toward that end yeah well chapter 28 Uh, i see here in our own notes that uh getting to the end felt like uh, a bit of a loop back towards the beginning. One of the, one of the things that I found in translation uh, that wasn't, yeah, uh, that wasn't the meaning of a particular word that was new um, was like, Hey, I've heard this before. Where have I heard this phrasing before? Oh, and that too. Oh, and this idea has come up before. Where was that? And they're all, in chapter one. Huh. Uh, so here we are at the end and hearing echoes of the beginning, uh, which by the way, led me to like start looking across the whole book and finding a whole structure. There's a, like a mirroring of the whole book that take, that happens that you can kind of trace. Um, but it's very clear here. So I remember cha- talking in chapter one, a lot about the, the Lord's messenger, mm-hmm. which traditionally the angel of the Lord. And sure enough, here it shows up again in verse three. Suddenly there was an intense earthquake because the Lord's messenger descended from the sky. Don't be scared. Yeah. And yeah. And so there's the Lord's messenger and he starts talking to people, telling them not to be scared. In fact, this person might even recognize this messenger from the Lord because it's Mary in chapter one. You mean Miriam? And Miriam gets visited by the Lord's messenger in chapter one and chapter 28 here. And don't be scared. It's delightful. Yeah. And this being the most um, Hebraic and popular thinking of the gospels, um, it's appropriate that it would have that sort of soft parallelism built mm-hmm. into it at a few points. Yeah. And this, that one's very clear. And there's a similar feel that like, now that I'm looking for it, I can say, oh, I wonder if the, the genealogy listing the, the history leading up to Jesus. And now we're seeing Jesus is passing on the torch to the 11, to the women. Yeah. yeah. And being instructed to carry it on forward from there. Jesus kind of being the pivot in the story the larger story mm-hmm. of God's work throughout history, not just in this one lifetime. 
And for among other reasons, that's because he was woken up from the dead. Uh, yeah. that, that is a language choice, a word choice that we've touched on elsewhere, where mm-hmm. uh, often, I don't know how much this happens in translations, but I found in, in regular like Christian exchange uh, about the gospel stories, there's a linguistic difference between somebody like Lazarus, Jesus's friend from Bethany, I think it is, who mm-hmm. uh, dies and Jesus goes and is like, dude, get out of there. And he comes out of the grave alive after a day or two mm-hmm. of being dead. Or in, in Matthew, he raises one or two people uh, from the dead. Yeah. And we recognize yeah, that dis- yeah. it's distinct from the kind of raising to new life that Jesus we say it is as we say he I don't think scripture ever explicitly makes that distinction i think paul seems to believe it's profoundly different he raises people from the dead but doesn't build a theology around it he rambles so late into yeah. the night some poor kid falls out of the damn window asleep dies on impact and he goes down and is like shit my bad mm-hmm. get back uh <laughs> and yeah. he doesn't build a theology around it there's a there's a sense in which um Right. Jesus, who well, like in looks Colossians familiar, yeah. calls him the firstborn of the dead. He's um, the first, yeah. But you got Lazarus and the girl in Matthew mm-hmm. happened before. Jesus. And they don't, they don't like, oh, what's the, do we still quote Harry Potter anymore now that she's become so conspicuously transphobic? Yes. Okay. Well. <laughs> she, it has grown beyond her. Okay. That's fine. I guess. I don't Transcended. know. What's the, what do they do? They dissipate, they disapparate. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jesus, the risen Jesus, like apparates and disapparates in, in and out of rooms. He mm-hmm. has the stigmata. He, I guess that doesn't really count that much, but he does odd things. They, they all see him as kind of like they almost recognize him. They all, uh, knew who he was, but none dared ask his name. I think is in the fourth gospel. Hmm. Weird way of putting it. Uh, also in the fourth gospel, um, Miriam grieving in the garden mistakes him for the gardener, which yes, has a as a theological like witty, like oh, you like Adam in the garden, firstborn of yeah, okay, very witty, very yeah, witty. But this is That's- his mom. <laughs> also that. Suffice to say, I think that the the broader assumption is that there is something fundamentally different than like mm-hmm. the kid died and now the kid undied. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. It's just not laid out. Like Paul doesn't ever say, by the way, Jesus being raised is different somehow than everyone else being raised. Yeah, the he, he assumes it, I think. Mm-hmm. And the ascension however literal figure that is might have something to do with it. Yeah. Um, but in this, I, I say all this because I found that the, the parlance around it has been, they were raised from the dead and we can use like raised from the dead can be used for Jesus or these other folks like Lazarus, but resurrected mm-hmm. is used very specifically. Right. For what very God did to Jesus, for Jesus or the thing that will happen for everybody else at the same time. At the end of time. At some time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The end of the age. And yeah. 
whenever um, that is. But yeah, but there isn't a distinct Greek word. Mm-hmm. Like what's translated as resurrection often is reawakening. And that's how I translated it. In, and it's the or, same word chapter. for both kinds of raising from the dead. Right. Yeah. The verb shows up a lot more. So-and-so was raised. Um, yeah. And raised is fine. Uh, as far as it goes, it literally means get up. So it could be from sitting, it could be from laying down on the ground, or it could be from sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I've settled on the sleeping is because it's a paired euphemism. It, the Greek uses, they fell asleep to mean died, is a, is a euphemism that gets used a lot. So then like, like passed, the, like passed away. Right. Uh, so we say passed away to soften the blow a bit instead of just saying they died. Yeah. Uh, and they used, they fell asleep to soften the blow and say it in a, in a nicer way. Um, and then you, they paired that with, they were woken up. It's not just a literally, they stood up from being on the ground. It's, it's connected with that fall asleep idea. Yeah, so this is less about trying to stamp away any kind of religious technical term that's problematic or has become mm-hmm. compl- unduly complicated. It's really just saying, literally, the parallelism should be maintained. Like, yeah, if we're going to include fell asleep. Right. And not only does that allow the pairing of those two to fit, but then it allows each of those to to be used in kind of puns and, and some other wordplay about oh, like the, those who are sleeping uh, wake up when it's talking about not literally sleeping and waking up or dying and coming back to life. Um, it's talking more about like, like a, a current phrase idiom for it might be like, they fell asleep at the wheel. They're not paying attention. They can't see what's going on in front of them. But I think it's on purpose that that's the line, the euphemism that's getting used because it's intended to call to mind this con- death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of these connections start to get made when you insist on using the same image that the Greek is using in all these places, as opposed to trying to like explain it. There is a time when you would translate the same words with same Greek words with different English words. I do that all the time. But when it starts to be kind of a load-bearing word, yeah, where it's helpful to trace connections across the text, then it's I think it's important to try as much as possible to keep cons- consistency. Yeah. All right. Let's get to this final stretch. This uh, kind of symphony, symphonic-like piling on of translation decisions that you made earlier all being brought together in this, these final, really actually three verses. Could you, could you read starting in verse 18? Sure. And the words you're looking for are all of them. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yes. Uh, Jesus went up to them and spoke with them. He said, all authority in the sky and in the land has been given to me. So go and train all people groups, submersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the sacred life breath, teaching them to observe everything that I have directed you. Look, I am with you every day until the completion of the age. 
so this stretch here is what's often called the Great Commission, paired with the Great Commandments of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, it's the Great Go and um, be door to door salesman in evangelicalism. <laughs> um, so it really does, it carries a lot of freight. It's also like the great finale to Matthew's telling of the story. So it carries quite a bit. So it's worth, I think, taking a, a somewhat brisk walk through each of these uh, translation shifts. And then maybe we can see if uh, something clear emerges by the end of it. So mm-hmm. let's start with uh, partway through 18. All authority in the sky and in the land, not in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yeah. Which is still a point where we disagree. Uh, it is. And you monster. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I could still possibly be con- convinced to, to change it to heavens. Uh, but sky, because I think it's, it's not about some other realm of some other dimension Mm-hmm. that other kinds of beings that we can't see with our eyes are walking around and like ghosts. And sometimes they can reach into our dimension and influence things, but we can't, you know, it, that's not what this is. The upside down sky and the land to be a merism, which we've talked about before, but it's a literary device where you name the two extremes to imply that it's that and everything in between. So, all of it, all authority everywhere has been given to me. And then maybe that's it. Like sky in the land. So all authority everywhere has been given to me. Maybe that's all the significance here. Maybe not. Maybe it's more about like with God and with people kind of that duality too, Mm -hmm. but taking sky, I think, I think what it does to me to say sky is it forces me to recognize that it's not talking about a literal location. It's talking about a symbol of God's presence. See, I take it the, the opposite way. Like the sky sounds more literal and heaven sounds much more poetic, but I know other people take that. I think, (laughs) I think, I think you're right. But I think people take the poetic meaning of heaven and apply it as if it's literal. And so what this helps me do is the mental gymnastics of like, it's ridiculous to apply this literally. Yes. Therefore, there's no chance of me accidentally doing that. Now, wait a minute. In in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of what's elsewhere called the kingdom of God is uh, overwhelmingly called the the kingdom of heaven for nerdy Mm -hmm. reasons and nerdy reverent reasons. Do you call it the kingdom of sky? Call it the divine reign because sky is representing where God is present, where God is influence is, is present. So divine. And so you're, you're persuaded that when heaven slash sky is paired with earth or land it's worth erring on the literal 
or phenomenological translation, when it's discrete, it's like, no, we're going to then say that's for divinity up there. Right. Yeah. It's the pairing that feels important to keep in view too. So all authority everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I almost, I, I almost, I like that interpretation of how you translated it, but because I don't, I didn't catch it. I almost like all, all authority everywhere. All manners of all authority everywhere (laughs) has been Mm. given to me, but we're trying to honor the linguistic idioms of two millennia Mm -hmm. ago. So there's no, there's there's no best way to do any of this. Yeah. 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 I mean, I like, I respect your translation is just not how I'd go with it. Um, Cause there's just each way of doing it here really does uh, surface yeah. and conceal different layers of mm-hmm. meaning. So you really just have it's to true. choose. Yeah. Which goes back to something we've come back to over and over again through this whole project is that there's no one right way to do this. Which is so exciting. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of different ways to do it well and lots of ways to do it that are not so great and you're not going to find any one that does does it perfectly or that everyone can agree on so the next translation change that you make you know this one usually it's go and make disciples of all nations but you've got go and train all people groups Mm -hmm. i'd love to know about train versus make disciples yeah no that's a good question um that i kind of missed actually as i was going through and like what what would be worth talking about i've been using students instead of disciples throughout matthew Hmm. And and i wrestled with that for a little while i was pretty confident i wasn't going to use disciples um it's it's a religious technical term you don't see that outside of religious contexts that word but apprentice kind of worked trainee kind of worked student kind of worked um protege kind of worked like um someone who's being mentored and they each kind of lean on a different aspect mm-hmm. of what these people are there's just isn't an exact equivalent role in our culture which is why there's an exact equivalent word to the greek so i think so I settled on student as kind of being the best of the options, even though it wasn't a perfect equivalent. But then this is the verb here. It's not two words, go make, and then another word, disciples. Yeah, it's, it's one word. Uh, disciples, mathetes, this is the verb, mathetio. And it's, it's actually, there are two ways to to lean on it. It's one of them is actually just to be a student, to be a disciple Mm. um, is one of the definitions. And then the other one is to make a disciple. So to be one yourself or to get someone else to be one are both possible uses of the word. And then it lists in the dictionary that I'm looking at um, theological dictionary, the new Testament, it has like a sub definition on that second one, making a disciple is to teach or instruct. Okay. So making a disciple, when you stop and think about it, it's a little bit of a weird phrase. Like, do I make an employee out of someone when I hire them? Like, I mean, you, you, you could say it that way, but it would be weird. 
it's you're not really making them anything. You're imparting something else to them, and then sure. they become that thing. Yep. So in this case, it's teaching, instruction, training, and and I didn't use the word teach because there's lots of other words. There's several other words for teach, and it's none of those. And it isn't just about information. It's about training. It is really the best way to put it. It's helping them learn how to do what they're going to do as people who have decided to walk the path of Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think part of what, if we were to draw any sense of what Jesus was up to is parallel here, he wasn't just telling, giving people new facts, new information. There's a way to be together. These were, there were practices yeah. to it and the affections were part of it. How does our heart, how does our longing align with the divine? So I wonder if um, form, like formation has training Mm -hmm. and formation are similar. I just, I I feel trained to be a bit more technical. Yeah. And form to be a bit more inclusive of, it's just squishier, like it can include Mm -hmm. the affections. Yeah. Just the notion mm-hmm. that, that that broadly either of those, like that general direction of like. Mm-hmm. Makes me almost think of like child rearing, r- child raising, raising would get confusing in this particular context uh, for reasons yeah. that we've already talked about. But, <laughs> uh, but that kind of a concept of like that kind of teaching and training of uh-huh. like coming alongside someone in relationship to help form the direction their life takes and what kind of person they become and how learn how to live and be with each other. And And this happens to uh, all people groups. Yeah. Usually it's nations. Hmm. Before we touch on that, another thought had to me make disciples feels very finite. Like I've given you your credential now, now you're a disciple when you weren't before. And it's very like off on like yes or no versus I think what's being talked about is an ongoing process throughout their lives, really. Yeah, making disciples is like, go yeah. ahead, go door to door and sell the knife set. Mm-hmm. Like get people from to a binary. And it's not to dispute whether there is a binary out there. It's just not what the hell Jesus is talking about here. Right. Yeah. It's a don't formative. Make, don't, it's not about getting to the sign on the dotted line. It's, it's Yeah, about, are you ready to say the thing? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it's much more long-term than that ongoing yeah so people groups yeah people groups man yeah um i think usually i hear this as all nations it's the same word that is traditionally in other places translated as gentiles yeah and it really it just means like a people group and usually it ends up getting used to mean other people groups other than my own um, so for most of the audience being Jewish, then it ends up being Gentiles because it's other people groups are Gentiles. And then, uh, you know, we've covered early on this shift from baptism to submersion. Uh, we dabbled in a few different words back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you had suggested immersion and it's, it felt like trying to make too much of a theological point in an argument that I don't think the Bible is trying to make. So I went with just a really close synonym submersion just to make myself feel better. Good. But yeah. 
And then in the name of the Father and the Son and the Sacred Life breath, that feels really nice to hear, mm. to see Sacred Life breath in the same way that you know, I meant to say this earlier, chapter 27, verse 50, then yelling with a loud voice, Jesus released the life breath. That phrase there is so, yeah, I guess language escapes me here. It's nice to see a, a more poetic rendering of at that moment. Usually it's releasing his spirit, if I'm not mistaken. And it's so easy to just hear that, I suppose, at a technical sense, like, and then the ant, the, well, the deus ex machina, <laughs> um, yeah. the, the animating energy, um, the real consciousness then gets vacuumed up to somewhere out to the yeah. sky. The lights got turned off. Yeah. But to like, yeah. to like releasing the life breath, it's like, yeah, man, that's, that sounds like death, but with a, a certain reverence for it. So thank you for that in, in that verse yeah. to get that modifier of sacred here for, for the Holy spirit is typically, she's typically called. Mm -hmm. It just fit right in. I love it. Yeah. It feels good. Um, another thing about this phrase is the, in the name of part of it, where in other places, I changed the in the name to representing because oh. that's what the phrase is, is me, trying to mean, like submersing them and doing so representing the father and the son and the, and the sacred life breath as you're doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not about having to say the phrase in the name of the father and the son and the sacred life breath while you do it. Like that's not an incantation. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> yeah there's there's a sacredness to it i don't think there's any problem with saying it like it's a good thing to do and i think maybe paul even may, might even talk about that but but that's not the point of what this is saying this the point is that when you submerse people who are being trained you're doing that as a representation like you're acting on behalf of the father and the son and the sacred life breath you're carrying their their authority. Oh, interesting. As their as their representative. That's ling you you think you're you're seeing linguistically like in the Greek. Yeah, I, I think that's what the fr phrase in the name of means. If you take it out of a religious context and talk about like imagine a police coming at the door, open in the name of the law. Yeah. It's like I'm I represent the law. And I'm telling you to open up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's a very priestly but, but function I, to this. Right. But I, I left it. There's a very priestly function. And I left it with this wording here because I couldn't figure out how to say that well in this particular sentence. I think everywhere else I changed it to representing. Yeah. And then the final, our final observation. Wow. Wow. In Matthew's gospel. That's amazing is, uh, look, I am with you every day until the completion of the age. Mm -hmm. yeah. so usually it's what, till the end of the age? Till the end of the age. Yeah. And the word isn't just the word for end. It's not just telos. The word is soon telios. So it has the 
prefix on there that means like together with Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of like where all things like where all the loose ends are getting tied off and i don't think that has to do with i'm with you until the world burns and 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 the god starts over or regardless of what your kind of eschatology actually is this is not about that exactly like there's there's something in that direction but it's it's specifically about them accomplishing what he's asking them to do the context matters (laughs) yes sir so like the the age as we've talked about in other chapters is representative of like the way things are until the the rule of greed and power over others and violence and just like the way the systems of the world function and the assumptions that people live by that are destructive um the training that he's asking them to do that involves the submersion in the name of the father and the son and the sacred life breath the teaching about observing everything he's directed them to do that leads to bringing all that to a close Mm. eventually Mm -hmm. and the start of an age when everything he's directed them is the norm. I think that's the end, man. It's a completion of the age. That's pretty cool. We just got there, Matthew. (laughs) Yeah. It's a long road. Eat the second cherry out of my cocktail to celebrate that. I started translating this around September of 2020 been a while that's amazing 15 months mm-hmm. i mean you finished translating it like in july yeah well i guess that wraps us up for this week we've been very thankful for your company for this leg of the journey and we're excited for where this show will go as we jump into other books out of the sacred library of the christian scripture in the months ahead The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice, especially Apple Podcasts, because that makes it easier for more people to find this show and know that people are loving it. Second best way to support the show is to become a sponsor, which you can do for just five bucks a month. When you do that, you get comment access on the Translations Google Doc, not just Matthew, but whatever we're going to do next and the one after that, if you keep on (laughs) uh, functioning as a sponsor and being part of this community. But that's not all. You also get the satisfaction that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. And how do you do that? Well, you find a link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM an unseated Chinook land. Goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye, Brandon. Goodbye, Matthew. Bye, everybody.